Is this me? Right? There. We'll fix it. Um, I start today a series, and it, I know that it's a holiday weekend, and we've got all of that. If you don't have a set of notes, if you just raise your hand, we will get a set of notes in your hand right away. So we got some hands up, and um, it is about seven minutes to 11. There's some more over here, okay? I am not preaching the full message today. I'm going to give an introduction because I do have five Sundays in the month to do this. And it is a four-week series. But just because you're here today doesn't mean you can mix next Sunday. Because next Sunday I'm only going to do a little and then keep going. But um, when our church began five years ago, so the first few minutes today will just be a, a history for you. When we began five years ago today, or not five years ago today, we came into this building three years ago today. First service was held three years ago today after 55 days of construction. Tanny, you remember the construction all too well. We were all here days and days and days in painting. Anyway, here we go. When we, because it was five years ago this morning, that we were sitting in a hotel room in Seattle and uh, we were getting ready to spend the day together. Jane had been getting dressed and was doing her makeup and she came out. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and she said, if I said yes to us starting a church, how long would it take you? And I said, well, you'd first have to say yes and then we could start the clock from there. So she said, I'm saying yes. Well, some of you may or may not know, I had the cards and the bylaws for Grace Place drawn up and they were sitting underneath my desk. We actually, I had actually printed all of the business cards for Grace Place, and they were sitting under my desk and had been under my desk for two and a half years. Grace Place had already been named. Everything was already done. And that was on the first Sunday of September. Her birthday is the end of the month. On the 29th of September, after 10 buildings, we uh, signed the lease for three years on a little blue building at 56th and Proctor. And the countdown started. And the countdown culminated with the first service being on November 11th, five years ago. That's how long it took. But when the church began, I said, we're going to do something unique. And I've had pastors all over the country tell me, you can't do it, you can't sustain it. You just, you just can't do it. You, just, you can't live on how you say you're going to live. It's not possible. It's not going to be done. You just can't do it. What was unique was I said that we weren't going to take an offering. I wasn't going to pass the plate. It was going to be something that we would not do. I said, God, here's the deal. I will not pass the plate until you stop blessing so you notice that in the bulletin, first of all, the definition of who we are and what we are is always printed on the back page. Grace Place, in essence, is a family of believers on a journey called faith. So that's who we are, that's what we do. Jane wrote that statement of being and purpose. That's, that's it, that's, that's who we are. But on the inside of your bulletin, there's a, a page printed on that's entitled Tithes and Offerings, right? On the inside of Tithes and Offerings, here's what it in essence says. 
No offerings are going to be taken today. Grace Place is supported by the faithful gifts of obedient people. That's it. I'm going to fix this. Okay. And we haven't in five years. We've taken offerings for missions a couple of times. But we do not take offerings. If you're a guest today, there will be a plate passed. There are four boxes located, two in here, one in the commons, and one in the center. That's it. That's how we operate. I am committed to that. But that doesn't mean that I'm not committed to teaching and preaching and believing in obedience. But if I'm going to believe in obedience, then I have to lay the groundwork of what obedience is and what you need to be obedient to. So once a year, I spend a few weeks on giving, but I approach giving in a pretty entirely different way. You're not going to hear a message this week on why you should give to God. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a message on the elements of giving and how you give to God. Today, I want to begin this series by talking about legacy. Legacy, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because it's something that all of us have. You have received it, and you're going to pass it on. What is it? Well, uh, let me give you the definition of a legacy. A legacy is defined as money or property. Anybody want some money from somebody? Okay, just ask him. <laughs> it's money or property that is bequeathed to another through the process called a will. Or, it is something handed down from an ancestor or a predecessor from the past. That something was, is not defined in money or property. It is, it is something outside of money or property. Legacies are rare. They're even special gifts. They come, though, they have to come from person to person. You heard about the lady in New York City that died and left her entire fortune to her dog. Because she didn't have anybody else in the world to leave it to. Hello! <laughs> the interesting thing about a legacy is that it is something that is moved from one generation to the next generation. Let me repeat that again. A legacy is something that moves from one generation to the next generation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs. Chapter 13. Verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Isn't that an interesting thought? You don't leave your inheritance to your children. You leave it to your grandchildren. I'm just saying what the Word of God says. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Today, um, we're, we're dealing with legacy. I am living to leave a legacy. And you are too. A legacy, it's not so much the money or the property. A legacy is more of what we do by habit and road. It's what we teach. It's what we instill. It is the moral fiber and fabric. It is indeed, could even be called character. But it seems like today, character doesn't count for much. I want you to listen. This is... 
taken from Chuck Swindoll, who is one of my favorite authors. He says, to put it candidly, you can sleep around and still be a good brain surgeon. You can cheat on your mate and have little trouble practicing law. It's no problem to stay in politics if you're a plagiarist. You can be a successful salesperson and cheat on your income tax. When you begin to look at all of this and what has been allowed in the world, the attitude seems to begin to permeate into the church. The perception is that you can do all of these things and a lot more, and you can still be a good Christian. But the reality is, you can't do any of these things as a Christian and continue to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And besides this, I want you to give all diligence. That means take everything that's in you. Muster up all of the purpose, all of the strength, and all of the energy that you can. Purpose within you that you should add to your faith virtue. Remember the little lady that is trying to get through the crowd? And she brushes through the crowd, masses of people touching Jesus, and she reaches out and brushes the hem of his garment, and Jesus stops the crowd and says, Who touched me? For I perceive that virtue, virtue isn't healing. Virtue is all of the character, all of the fabric, all of the fiber of the divine that leaves in a moment. It is whatever you need. Virtue. Virtue. Add to your faith virtue. The word here has a very specific meaning. It means moral excellence. Add to your faith. How many of you are going to heaven? Yeah, everybody in the house. (laughs) Add to your faith. Moral excellence and character. Not enough to say that you're a Christian. You're leaving a legacy. What are you leaving? You are leaving your moral character behind you. 1 Peter 1. Verse 15 and 16. He has called you and the one who has called you is holy. So be holy in all of your manner of conversation. Conversation is... It's talk on one side, but it's your conduct. We're going back to this moral character thing again. We have confused two things in our language of the 21st century. There is a significance, no huge, no anger. There is a vast difference between having a reputation and having moral character. Reputation is what you're supposed to have. And reputation is what you're supposed to be. Character is what you really are. Reputation is what you have when you come to a new community. Character is what you left in the old. Reputations can be made in a moment. Character is what is built over a lifetime. Reputation can grow like a mushroom. You know, we've got some interesting soil out here in front of the church. 
I come on some Friday mornings. Now, before God and all that's holy, I believe that there wasn't anything out there that was growing outside of what should be growing on Thursday night. But when I come back on Friday mornings, it seems like every Friday morning there are mushrooms that just grew up overnight. <laughs> Reputation can grow like a mushroom. <laughs> Character only grows like an oak tree. A reputation is something that can be learned and mimicked in an hour. Character is what comes to light over the years. Do you know a newspaper can give you a reputation in one article? Character is what is developed with a lifetime of toil that no one ever sees but you. A reputation can either make you poor or rich. A character will either make you happy or miserable. Reputation is what you want put on your tombstone. Character is what you want the angels to say about you when you get there. Reputation is what men think you are. And character is what God knows you are. I'm going to give you the most profound question I've ever asked. Maybe the most profound question I've ever asked in 35 years of pastoring, just not in the five years Grace Places existed. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind you? How do you want others to remember your life? Do you want them to remember you based on your reputation? Or do you want them to remember you based on your character? See, we're all living and we're all leaving a legacy. Which isn't an option. You may have a will. If you don't have a will, shame on you. If you're sitting there this morning and you don't have your life put in order, shame on you. We have an attorney in our church who will do it. He will do it if you can pay for it and he'll do it if you can't pay for it. And his charge to do it is under 50 bucks. And if you can't pay for it, we've already made arrangements and we'll take care of it. But I'm not talking about your will. I'm talking about what you're going to leave outside of what you put on paper. I'm talking about your legacy. What type of legacy are you going to leave? You can frame the question any way you want. And the truth is, no matter how you frame it, you are working on your legacy right now. A good man leaves an inheritance. For his children's children. You're all leaving a legacy. If you walk out of this building right now, get in your car and make it to um, 38th and Mortar, and you're in a car accident at the stoplight, and you go to heaven, what kind of legacy will be left to put into the hands of those that follow you that are called your family? Not talking about your reputation. I'm talking about your character. I read a political commentator. There have been a few around this last week. This commentator is taking a, a, a giant look at the last 40 years. 
The central paradox of our time is that most of us are earning more money today than our grandparents or great-grandparents ever thought of earning, no matter where we find ourselves in the economic spectrum. We are living better materially than they ever did. Yet by most measures, we're working longer and we are becoming more frantic than ever before. The time and energy left for our non-working lives seems to be evaporating. How many of you try sometimes and you're struggling to figure out, how am I going to spend an evening with my family? I mean, I've worked and worked and worked, now i got to home and i got to work at home. Or I got... Anybody ever find a problem there? I mean... It... Revelation 21.8, liars or friars. The new economy that we find ourselves living in in the 21st century brings us enormous benefits of wealth, innovation, new chances, and new choices. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of your parents owned a cell phone? Owned or owned? Owned. Well, either one. Okay? It's a generational thing. How many of your great-grandparents owned a cell phone? I got one so far. That's because she's so young. <laughs> and her great-grandmother's here. Okay, how many of your great-great-great-grandparents owned a cell phone? Had a television. Okay. Do carrier pigeons count? <laughs> we have enormous benefits from the time that we live in just because we were born and we're living in the 21st century. But absorbing and keeping up with all that is around us, we find ourselves facing a huge deficit. And the deficit is that there is an erosion of family and family time. Our communities are fragmenting. Where's the cohesiveness of a family together? And the challenge is we can't keep up with our own integrity, let alone pass it on. We're in danger of losing the critical distinction between making a living and having a life. Richard Lamb was the former um, governor of Colorado. Future historians are going to take a look back and they're going to attribute multiple factors of why there was a decline of the America that we grew up with. But they're going to be led by the failure, one single failure, and that is the failure to replace ourselves with enough stable children born in enough stable families that have the ability to pass on stability to the next generation. There is a crisis in generational legacy. Good men don't know how to leave to the next generation a good name. And it's not outside the church, it's inside the church. <coughs> Generational legacy, that's, that's how faith, that's, that's the only thing that's going to count. It's the only thing. What good will the prophet of man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul and his family along with it? And I know I just added that in there. <laughs> Martin Luther was asked, if you knew tomorrow morning that you were going to die, what would you do today? You know what he said? I'd go plant a tree. You know why? Because the tree would outlast him and not only would it go on, it would grow on. We've got to start imagining what our lives are and how they're going to be read. 
We need to begin to plant roots and trees so that not only will they go on, they will grow on. How you live, how you live in front of your grandkids, how you live in front of your nieces and nephews, how you live in front of your great-grandchildren. You are producing in front of them character. And when you're gone, it's not the size of the check you left them. It's not the car that's been sitting on the side saying, this is your car someday. It's none of that. What you leave is going to get spent. Some of you are living the bumper sticker. <laughs> I'm spending my, kid, my kid's inheritance. <laughs> it's not about reputation, everybody. It's character. Some of you want to live to be a legend. He's a legend in his own mind. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to, to figure out, do you want to be a legend? I'm asking you, do you figure out that you want to leave a legacy? It's how church is built. It's how faith is moved. It's moved in a legacy. It's moved in handing it one baton to another, one generation to the other. I know we are an infant church. We're five years old. But I don't have infant Christians in every pew here. I have some, probably close to half of you, are first generation believers. You've come to know Jesus Christ in the last few years. Many, many of you in the last five years since we opened the doors. <coughs> but some of you have known Jesus. Well, let's just go through. How many of you know Jesus 10 years or longer? Okay. How many of you know Jesus 20 years or longer? 30 years or longer. 40 years or longer. 50 years or longer. 60 years or longer. 70 years or longer. 80 years or longer. Okay, okay here, here we go, here we go. But I got two hands still up? Got two hands still up. Can I ask? How long have you known Jesus? Eighty-two years. Eighty-two years. How I think Okay, now let's do the generational thing here for a second. Ninety-six years. Where's the next generation? Three daughters. Three daughters. And a granddaughter. And a that's, that's a deal. That's a legacy. There's a living legacy right there. If you're working on a legend, it can go up or down and become good or bad. Max Jukes. He didn't believe in religion. Married a girl who didn't believe in religion either. They formed a union, and from their union, the descendants... From the late 1600s to now. 1,026. Studies showed that 300 of that 1,026 died prematurely. 100 spent time in penitentiary. 190, 190 of them became prostitutes and drug lords. 100 were drunkards. And they cost the state of New York, where their homestead was, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. There was another guy from the same time period. His name is Jonathan Edwards. He believed in God and married a Christian woman. And they trained 
and develop in like manner children of like character. From that union, 729 descendants were studied. 300 were preachers. 65 were college professors. 13 university presidents. 6 became authors. 3 U.S. congressmen. And 1 the vice president of the United States. And they cost the state nothing. Legacy? Legend. It really boils down to one more thing. There's a difference between conviction and preference. Do you know that the United States Supreme Court will defend your convictions and they will waffle with your preference? A preference, it's a strong belief, it's a very strong belief. It is sometimes held with great strength and fervor. There are people who will give their entire lives for a preference. They'll give all of their wealth and their wheels to their preference. They'll get people to believe in their preference. They'll teach their children about their preference. And the Supreme Court will rule time and time again. It was just a preference. Because a preference will change depending on the circumstance. Preferences change on circumstance. Preferences can change on peer pressure. If your beliefs are such that other people will stand with you before you stand, it's a preference. Family pressure, lawsuits, jail, threat of death. Those are preferences. People don't die for preferences. People die for beliefs. A belief doesn't change because your conviction doesn't change in circumstance. story is told in the Old Testament of Daniel and his friends. Hebrew names, Babylonian names, you know them better by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If they had preference, they certainly wouldn't have gone the wayside. They had belief and conviction. So much so that Daniel goes into a lion's den and the three Hebrew children walk around in a furnace. Okay, live forever. You can do what you choose and whether we die or live makes no difference. Because at the end of the day, if our God wants us to live, you can't make the furnace hot enough. We're going to live. Daniel says, O king, that you would live forever. When you blow the trumpet, you can have everybody else in the kingdom bow. I'm not going to bend, bow, or break. I'm going to stand. If it's a preference, those things don't happen. Preference. I did some research and I'm going to be done. The story is told of one of our early church fathers. You've got to know, you've got to be involved in church history to know who this guy He was the Bishop of Alexandria in Cairo, outside of Cairo. Alexandria in Egypt was one of the five centers of Christendom, Jerusalem being the head. As Christianity spread, four other cities became dominant, and there was a bishop put over each of those cities. Athanasius became the Bishop of Alexandria. Excuse me. 
There was a guy who was just a priest who believed that Jesus was nothing more than just another man that had done really good and was not the incarnate Son of God. He started a heresy. That heresy grew, was widely accepted. As a matter of fact, Constantine goes ahead and says, won't you just let him and his people worship? It's not a big deal whether they believe that God's Son divine in Jesus Christ or not. And he said, no. It's, he gets exiled five times and banished from being able to practice faith in Egypt during the time that he was appointed bishop. Constantine, who made Christianity the religion of all of the Roman Empire, dies. A new emperor finally summons him by the name of Theodius. He rebukes him, reproves him, and says, Just let these people be. Don't fight them anymore. And here was the quote from the emperor Theodius. Don't you realize that the whole world is against you? father of the church proudly stood and said then I'm against the whole world and with that that heresy was put down because one man had just not preference yet conviction one man had just not a reputation he had character I don't know where this legacy thing is going to go with you, but you're, you're doing it today. What do you see? The only thing that you're really going to ever pass on to your family is what you've got in your hand right now. What are you passing on? What are you giving? You want them to have your reputation? I want them to live by my preference. I want my kids and my grandkids to know that they had a dad who had character. And I want my kids and my grandkids to know that I lived under conviction, just not preference. Because when it got easy, I was one way, and when it got hard, I was another way. I'm giving legacy. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Gracious God, legacy. I don't care what man says. I only want to hear you well done, good and faithful. I want you to know my character. Character is what I am in the dark when nobody else is around and the flashlight comes on. It's who I am when I'm all alone. I need, I need you to shape, form, and mold me this morning into a man of just not preference, but a man of belief and conviction that when the whole world doesn't stand, I stand. When the whole world is against me, I stand because it's not about what they do, it's about who you are in me and the strength that you give me to be a godly man. I pray this morning that in this series of the next several weeks, legacy is shaped and formed. Legacy is what we move into. Legacy is what we begin to desire. You said that you would give us the desires of our heart. God, I pray that legacy becomes the heartbeat of this church, that we are passing on one generation to another, just not preference, but conviction, just not reputation, but character, that we are at work with you and you are at work in us. As we go into this weekend, God, thank you for uh, labor. Thank you for your presence, your ability to do good. God, 
not about getting a day of rest tomorrow. It is about acknowledging that my help comes from the Lord. It's about acknowledging that there's nothing good that I've done. And it's not about acknowledging uh, what I have. It's acknowledging that you have it all. And that you put in our hands the ability to pass on to the next generation legacy. 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 Now in him who was able to keep us and present us faultless and blameless on that day through his mercy and his grace. Send us from here. Making a legacy, not wanting to have a legend. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.